2: stage door to breathe some nicotine And maybe check my mailbox, see if I can read the screen Then I heard a click The stage door lock I knew just what that meant I'm gonna have to walk around the block If I wanna get in A wristband, my man you got to have a wristband If you don't have a wristband
3: and welcome to the news We're Dan in New Haven right now the voice that you hear is that of Paul Simon his 13th album. 13th solo album, uh, has uh, dropped today, just a few hours ago. uh, Stranger to Stranger, uh, his brand new album joined the world, so we thought we would talk about it today. It's especially uh, poignant uh, for me because I'm down here for my 40th reunion at college. I'm here with one of our guests on the panel, Kevin Kane, who I haven't seen, I think, in 40 years. But Kevin is a musician whose rock career spans 45 years, which is nothing to Paul Simon. That's why we wanted to talk about Paul Simon, so we wouldn't feel old today. Uh, Paul Simon's Uh, Sounds of Silence Sound of Silence came out 52 years ago so um, uh, so Kevin secured studio to do that with us Mercy Quay is back she's a director of communications for New Haven Public Schools uh, and which she started the day before
0: yesterday (laughs) yep Wednesday
3: a lot of changes around (laughs) here and then a pillar of stability for us uh, Brian Slattery uh, is arts editor for the New Haven Independent Uh, (laughs) why would that be inherently funny Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Brian Slattery it's uh, the
4: first time anybody's ever called me stable. <laughs> well, it could start a trend. Uh and he's a producer at WNHH Radio.
3: So, um this is Paul Simons as I say, 13th album. Um this is uh I, I should just let you guys sort of maybe even just sort of react a little bit. I will set the stage so that you can sort of uh, swat uh, tennis balls back at me uh for me for, for me i've been kind of waiting for him to make this album uh, it, uh the last three that he's done i mean I, I own them i listen to them occasionally but they really haven't sort of penetrated they haven't ginned up the kind of excitement in me that that say rhythm of the saints back in 1990 did or graceland before it this one i think comes closer to doing that and i'm really looking forward to spending even a lot more time with it we've all been Kind of delving into it and, and probing around in it. So, but um, but I want to hear from you guys. I know Brian, you you didn't have quite as rapturous a reaction to it as I did. Not no. that you rejected it. Yeah, way. right.
4: I was going to say it's not that it's 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 not an album that I think anybody would hate. It'd be you know it'd be, it'd be hard to hate the album. I couldn't even imagine like what the criteria. would There's be There's a person doing out there. That. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, but it it's mostly that you know it's 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 more or less what I would expect from hmm. from. Paul Simon at this point you know there's the it, you know there's the like let's let's muck around with like some music from other cultures and see what interesting things we can you know see what interesting things we can put together and it's all sort of delivered still with the same kind of like he you know he has his he has his way of delivering his lines it's like very laid back mm-hmm. and it's something that he's always done sort of regardless of what's going on around him musically and you know that's that's still doing what it's doing so, like, it was, you know, it's, it's all sort of, like, really well done. And, you know, the, the, the musicianship is pretty impeccable. But at the same time, I didn't find myself, like, surprised by anything. Mm. And nor did it, you know, nor did it make me stop. I, was, I, I, I admit that I was making dinner while I was listening to the album. But sometimes if I'm doing that, I end up not making dinner because I end up just listening to whatever it is I put mm-hmm. on. And that didn't happen. I, I just finished making dinner. All right. That could be. They you should know. start testing things that way. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, but, it, but, you know, it was, it, you know. Yeah. That, that was about it.
3: So uh, Kevin, I know you have lots to say about this, and and as somebody who was—I mean, I should say Kevin was an active rock musician uh, back in the uh, mid nineteen seventies when we were uh, living here in New Haven. He staged a rock opera that he'd probably ra- rather I didn't bring up, but um, <laughs> but I mean, Paul Simon must have just animated kind of your musical life uh, as few other people with that kind of continuity. Yeah,
1: you know, you know it's pretty interesting that, that you did bring up the rock opera, so I'm forced to sort of you know confront that <laughs> period of time, and there were some sort of Simon songs on on mm. there but you know for somebody like me and of course colin uh, in our age group you know he's so seminal mm. and and that voice you know the, a lot of people say it doesn't have a lot of range it's kind of thin all of those things are true but it's the perfect vehicle for his intelligent sophisticated wry lyric line and you know for sure so when I yeah. kind of looked at it when I heard it mm. uh, I think this um, I think it's terrific and this is on the fifth listening I, I had three more times while I was driving up here and for me alone uh, Proof of Life The Insomniac's Lullaby mm. you know I would just take those songs and put them up against his best work I did bring his book you know so I have all the, <laughs> all the lyrics I put that up against his best work and I and I think he's been able to take his sound and his what he used to use in a rhythmic uh, sort of rhythm picking folk picking way, he's that's been supplanted by some wonderful instrumentation and some really uh, vibrant stuff. So I think he's grown, yet he's still. Uh, in the vein that you want from Paul Simon, I like the fact that I wasn't surprised. By the way, I think I'm really happy mm-hmm. about that. You know, as you get sure. older, you start to realize <laughs> you <just don't> want <laughs> less, yeah. you, know, you want less of that. Yeah, so there are like fewer good a, surprises. It's, yeah. it's like point. I don't want to. I don't want to hear Billy Joel <laughs> play guitar. Not really. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know.
3: So mercy, this. Uh, a lot of the themes on this album are themes uh, about which. Uh, you so far don't know very much, which has to do with <laughs> growing old. Um, uh, I mean, it's sort of there. It's, it's a lot of what he's talking about right now. But I'm also just interested, as somebody who is uh, far younger, uh, whether, first of all, well, Paul Simon resonates at all with you, and if so, whether this particular release does.
0: Yeah, I can say that um, in order to sort of inform my opinion about this album, I had to ask my... Mm, not so much peers <laughs> I've had to ask people you know who who's Paul just, old, just old, old people on the street Basically, I wasn't gonna say that I wasn't yeah. gonna say that um although I did ask my grandma and I <laughs> oh, this is really
1: getting worse no I'm feeling better
0: <laughs> and um I've asked a couple people uh I've asked a former teacher of mine um Justin Boucher who's going to be ecstatic that I said his name on the radio just now um You know who Paul Simon is and how I should feel and is this a typical album for him and then I sort of took that and informed um and had that inform my opinion when I was sort of listening um and I don't say this often in fact I say it fairly infrequently but you know with the mixture of um cultural sounds that he combines to create this album if this doesn't end racism I'm not sure what will
3: (laughs) I'm sure the people at Concord Records are going to use that as a (laughs) a blurb somehow or other. For for people who want to hear a little bit more of it, uh, Kevin mentioned the cut Proof of Love, which at at the moment for me is the one that I'm ready to delve deepest into. So let's hear a little bit of Paul Simon, Proof of Love.
2: Begin again, no easy trick, without a guide or a walking stick. Begin before the bells are twined. downhill town the road ahead spiral as a serpent's bed a teaspoon of desire for my meal I trade my tears to ask the Lord for proof of love
3: If all I'd love to play more of that for you but then we wouldn't get to talk. So Kevin, um one of the things uh, one of the things that makes playing little clips from this album difficult is that he really has strayed away a lot from kind of ABAB a, B bridge structure. A lot of times these Compositions—they have movements in them, rather. So this doesn't really necessarily stay in one place or, or follow a very conventional melodic structure, um, which can either be disorienting or pleasurable. I'm finding it very pleasurable on a lot of these cuts.
1: Yeah, so, so am I. And and at first I was thinking of them as vignettes that. Um, kind of separate pieces that were tied together. But when you listen to it in its entirety, and it's the only way to listen to this album, I mean, you have to go song to song to song. Those vignettes are so interesting. The beginnings of each song is so interesting. And um, lots of times the melody in the verses, he's changing that around at the same time. But, But those lyrics are just so clever. You just can't get away.
3: Brian, one thing that you said was that you wanted this music to... We've been emailing about this album. Uh, So uh, you wanted this to explode more. You wanted... I mean, because Paul Simon is famous for having... Uh, in, in the making of, of uh, Graceland, having gone to, to South Africa right. and, and worked with musicians there and, and then brought them over here to work with him some more and then going to Brazil uh, for Rhythm of the Saints. Right. Um, so, but, but you want these the rhythms here, all the kind of polyrhythmic stuff that's going on in this particular album, to do something more than it's doing.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, very long story short, I mean, the, the debt that I owe to Paul Simon is being a, a kid when Graceland came out and being, and really liking the sound of the album and being like, at the time, just a little baby musician going, you know, how did he come up with all of this? It opened the door along with like a few other artists who had done this. It opened the door to like the world of African and South American music. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I walked through and have not really stopped walking. Um so there's a, you know there's a huge debt that I owe to this guy for that but that said you know now that it's been you know 30 years of <laughs> of listening to that stuff when I when I come back what I want is more of the excitement that I hear in those actual african and south american records mm-hmm. you know which do tend to be like a little a little harder hitting you know more dynamic range and um, even even when the singer is pretty laid back, there's a certain element of like engagement that Paul Simon doesn't do. So you know when he employs those rhythms, like my expectations are that at, at some point I want to make sure that everybody's dancing, and that never quite happens. You know? <laughs> Your
1: body
3: language is suggesting you wanted to say something.
1: <laughs> well, no, I I think that's you know that was the interesting part of the email uh, thread this week, and I really hadn't thought about it that way because I'm. I look at Paul Simon as 50 years of songwriter. And so right. for me, what he brings to the emotional equation is what he decides to write about. And if he's talking about proof of love, now I'm thinking about it. And you know, his uh, elegance in getting me to think about things all the way back to American tune, you can go keep going back on. And so when I look at him as a songwriter, I just... I look at his topics and what he's choosing to muse about, Mm -hmm. and then that he surrounded himself with difference in musicians. I think is pretty cool, and if I want to, oh, really cool, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But if I want to dance, I'll definitely go to someone who I think has that, (laughs) you know, right. uh, Any Prince song, tee it up, you know, right,
0: right, exactly. This isn't, uh, this isn't by any means your typical jukebox album. This is a cooking. Right. The first date cooking in the kitchen, make it all through the way through dinner. And there's a place in the world for this. Right. Absolutely. I'll probably put it on when I go to my yoga class. Right. Um, And I think there is a place for that. I think I am incredibly appreciative of artists who incorporate these sounds, artists who um you know highlight peruvian drums right or you know what have you and i think there's something to be said about this you know someone called it a genre bending album Mm -hmm. um which is sort of interesting because at the same time it's not incredibly innovative for paul simon as i understand (laughs) (laughs) as i've been told (laughs) um but you know when i hear the word genre bending i'm thinking I'm thinking, I don't know, Childish Gambino, right? I'm thinking Prince. I'm thinking, uh, help me out here, um, to Pimp a Butterfly. Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm thinking of those sort Kendrick of sounds. Kendrick Lamar.
3: I feel like a really old
1: guy now. <laughs> like, I, <feel> like... <laughs> I got quiet all of a sudden. Right. <laughs>
3: I like that D'Angelo fellow too. He's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, actually, before we continue, um, and I want to come back to that for a, in a second. I think you're making a really interesting point here. But once again, just to give people the flavor of this a little bit more, and I'll set this up. Some of the narrative of this album seems to flow through the mind of somebody other than Paul Simon, this persona that he's created, somebody called the street angel. This is pretty obviously a kind of schizophrenic man that would be panhandling out on the street, uh, maybe showing up at the ER uh, at another point. Uh, this is the song, Street Angel.
2: Goes out to the street angels working their way. My heart goes out to the street angels. I saved my change for a street angel working his way. I had this exchange with the street angel. Nobody talks to me much. I said, Nobody talks to me much. Nobody. So he says, I make my verse for the universe. I write my rhymes for the university. And i give it away
3: for See, Mercy, this, you know, what Brian said earlier may actually wreck this album for me, which is too bad because I was really enjoying it. But, um, and that is I mean, so Simon, what Simon has done his entire career is inhabit a lot of things. He kind of, he's like a hermit crab, right? He goes in and he takes somebody else's shell, you know? And so with Graceland, there were a lot of people who were somewhat critical of him, partly because there was still a a boycott going on of a, a lot of things, South African. But he thought that he could play a better role by working with those musicians. But he became that hermit crab, right? He moved into their shell. Some people thought that was great in terms of introducing it to the to the West and to Americans. Uh, there are other people who thought it was a, a lot of cultural appropriation. Some similar criticisms, criticisms maybe not as bad with Rhythm of the Saints. But, you know, Brian's, the thing that Brian said, that we're, he doesn't necessarily move in with full conviction. I don't know, I'm not exactly paraphrasing. No, that's, you. That,
4: that's, that's fair. So I'm listening to yeah. this
3: thing now and I'm thinking, well, in some ways this is a really interesting attempt to att- to approximate the mental state of a schizophrenic. And so there's, all through this thing, there's found tape and there's stuff played backwards and there's mechanical noises and supposedly Simon and his his compatriots built or invented some new rhythmic instruments for some of these songs. So, but now I'm concerned you know, that, that it's, that it's <laughs> right. artifice as opposed to conviction.
0: Sure, I mean, uh, I think there is a word for this, columbusing, um, and... Uh, it's great. So I, a conversation I had about this earlier was that, you know, it, it is great to sort of use your um, your platform as a known artist and sort of incorporate these other sounds and other artists and sort of get them some notoriety as well. If that's what you're doing. Great. Um, but there's some space to be uh, to have a conversation about whether this is appreciation or uh, appropriation. Um And, you know, I can't answer that question. Right. And I think anytime the conversation of whether something is appreciative or appropriative, Mm -hmm. I I, I don't think the answer is as cut and dry as this. I think, you know, whatever that answer may be, it is awesome because, um, well, it being this album is awesome in the regard that it does, like Brian said, open the door to these sounds to people who would otherwise not hear it. Um, I I sometimes take issue to uh, the idea, you know, statements like, oh, no one has no one even knows or New Haven's most kept secret or that kind of thing Mm -hmm. because it's like to who, right? Right, It sort of discounts. Somebody knows. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah,
3: we should say Columbusing is when you discover the Argentinian restaurant that the Argentine community has been going to (laughs) uh, in your city for 10 years, but (laughs) you've just discovered it. Um, Exactly. And and so, you know, but Brian, what she's talking about is – it is the dilemma of paul simon right that you were going absolutely up in, in upstate new york right. unlikely to have encountered lady smith M- Mombazo right in, in any other context i mean right. part of the problem certainly is, not then yeah. and
4: certainly not before then
3: right. right i mean sometimes if somebody doesn't I mean, there were certainly South African musicians who, they weren't using that word, but they were accusing Paul Simon of columbus saying, oh, for we sure. needed him to discover us. Uh, for sure. But, but Americans probably wouldn't have,
0: you know? And
4: today- yeah. I mean, at the time, like, the the, mm. the audience for African music in the United States was tiny. It was really, really small. Mm. And it's, it's a lot bigger now. And you, there, there are lots of things that, that played into that but certainly like certainly Paul Simon was a part of that you know it's like he got he got Lady Lady Smith Black Mountain on Saturday night live you know it's like there's <laughs> yeah. that's pretty neat you know know it's like you can there's there's a lot to be said about you know what his relationship with the music is but that that break is a break you know and and one Kevin, way or the other. Kevin
3: this is something that Brian has talked about a lot on the show in the past is that what musicians do anyway is incorporate everything that they've ever heard right that you know it's rare right. it's it's rare there's that everybody wants to be wildly original, but nobody's ever wildly original in a way that completely forsakes everything that's piled up in their
1: heads. Well, uh, Yoko Ono was wildly original. That's <laughs> <laughs> <In> such <laughs> an unfair way. <laughs> and I'm not sure how that worked out. So, yeah, you know, it's it's an amalgamation. It's an accumulation of, of who you've worked with and, and sort of, um, you know, as a songwriter, though, as you're coursing through decade after decade, it should be stronger. You should your song, your songs, and your your topics and your musicianship should be stronger. I don't look at Paul Simon as a musician. I look at him as a songwriter, so I don't hold him too accountable for playing those parts. But one thing that does bother me about the album is that I think that there's a you start to fall in love with digital stuff and you become sort of the digerati of Mm -hmm. producers and there's too much stuff in there that maybe if you simplified it, you could, the emotion would come through. Edie's, the Edie song with his guitar, right? Mm -hmm. It's an interlude, but how, how emotional is just that guitar? And it's not well, I'll say at this point, mucked up with other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when you get in that producing role, you're, you're really throwing kitchen sinks in when sometimes you don't need to. And I think that's one of the songs I think is a problem.
3: So less is more sometimes. I, um, actually, well, let's hear one of the many uh, fabulously cluttered songs here. This is called, we- I'm just going in order right now, but let's, <laughs> let's, let's hear Werewolf.
2: Milwaukee man led a fairly decent life, made a fairly decent living, had a fairly decent wife, she killed him with a sushi knife. Now they're shopping for a fairly decent afterlife. Bits mixed reviews life is a lottery a lot of people lose. and the, winners, the so i mean that,
3: mercy to kevin's point that's there's a lot of things that happen in the first few bars of that right i mean we're hearing rhythm we're hearing electronics we're hearing wolf howls we're hearing but maybe to a young person, that's just the way music sounds.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, was there something wrong with this? I, <laughs> this is how music sounds. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, earlier I wanted to, to say I am familiar with Yoko Ono, I believe I've heard that name before once or twice, um, and <laughs> <laughs> um, around the grandfather table, right, right, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, around the 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 cooler—is that a saying? I don't know what you guys used to say, but um,
1: you're getting it.
0: You're getting <laughs> it. <laughs> but I will say, um, you know, when you think about busy sounds like this, I think about. Um, Kanye West doing everything he can to sound original, Mm -hmm. right? And I mean, if we're talking about Paul Simon Simon trying to um, reinvigorate his sound and uh, make music for 2016, this is acceptable. Mm -hmm. This makes sense. There were moments where I didn't understand the beat and I couldn't sort of pick up on the rhythm because I felt that... The the way he was singing to the rhythm behind him didn't exactly match, which gives me this anxiety that makes me dislike the song. And so I have to stop listening or skip to the next one at that <laughs> point. But besides that, I think it being busy is appropriate for the time.
3: Mm. Um well, he's always kind of polyrhythmic, right? And and time signatures are, you know, I mean, who knows what they even are? I don't know if you guys could figure it figured those <laughs> things out. Sometimes even keys we, seemed a little. Uh, we'd
1: have to separate those tracks out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: So one of the things that we heard in Werewolf, uh, Brian, was um, a, a, an artist called Clap Clap. And right. First of all, before I we even get to Clap Clap. Um, I love the thing that you said about what you would do with if you had an afternoon with Paul Simon yeah, and Paul totally. Simon had to do whatever you want. I mean,
4: to. the thing is like 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 you were saying, Mercy, I mean he get, he gets huge points for not just doing what he was doing in nineteen seventy. Yeah. Right. It's really cool that you, you get this sense that, that he's he's a guy who is always listening to new music. Like he's always interested in what's going on around him. And um yeah, I was I was saying to Colin that like if I had like four hours with Paul Simon, I would just want to hang out with him and like have him play me records that he really likes. And talk about them because you know the, like with Graceland, like I mean, like with this album now, my first thought is like, well, I just became a fan of Clap Clap, the guy who, mm-hmm. who did like the backing tracks to two of the songs on it because I love them, and then uh, sure enough, he's great.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. so here's a little bit of uh, the Rainstick Fable by Clap Clap.
2: Let the, let the, let the, let the,
3: So that's really cool. But what, what Clap Clap can't... Clap Clap's, I think, a ta- an Italian artist, right? Yeah, Yeah, Italian yeah. artist. What Kevin, what Clap Clap, Clap Clap can't do there is put a soul in a human face uh, um, a, 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 and a recognizable narrative into that. That's sort of Paul Simon's right. contribution.
1: Correct. You said it way better than... Uh, <laughs> uh, I, in fact, I was going to say that exactly the same, but it was... You know, again, I think Paul, yeah, Paul's contribution to the song... You know the other musicians are serving the song. Paul's contribution is to write the bones of it, get the the emotion, the spirit out of it. And if his musicians are serving him well, that song is going to do what it what, wh- where they take it. And usually that should be better. And that's what I think the talent of a songwriter is. And what I was trying to say earlier is that sometimes the songwriter and the mus- musicians are really cool together and the producer gets in the way Mm -hmm. and and just layers it with too Mm -hmm. much stuff Mm -hmm. and so the honesty of his lyrics uh, I mean how can you just begins with werewolf that's a killer first two lines Mm -hmm. at the end of the day that's Paul's contribution and if the other musicians take that to any number of of uh fans I just think that's great
3: um, before we run out of time, Kevin, I, one of the great points that I thought you made as we were emailing around is, um, you know, Brian, I think occasionally hears something a little bit languid and casual uh, in the way that Paul Simon sings or or, or enunciates some of these words. Uh, you hear it a little bit differently. You hear a guy who what pick, picks out words that sound very natural
1: for him to sing. <laughs> he He selects syllables that sing well. Mm-hmm. And I think that influences his lyrical choice. And, you know, I kind of made a joke that, you know, how can you sing the word jittery and make that work? Right. But I think lots of open vows. And I just think that that lends to that languid sort of thing that I happen to like. Uh, And it just helps his voice all the way through. But he selects them.
3: Well, we, ha- we now do have to stop, uh, but we're going to end with, uh, in- first of all, I'm going to say we're going to come back with more of this great panel, and we're going to talk about uh, problems at the zoo with gorillas. We're going to be talking uh, also uh, about, uh, if we have time, about the Yale English Department, because that's always, you know, they're always in the news, right? Uh, but we are, are we ending with Insomniac's l- lullaby? I- no, you are ending with something else. All right.
2: High school is closed. Same for the local police. Shall we tearfully embrace? Shall we sing Amazing Grace? Will the shallow river water bring us peace? Army dude, only a son, nowhere to run, no one to turn to. He turns to the gun. It's a cross. It's a stone. It's a Fragment of bone, it's a long walk. On. A long walk home. Go be a long walk home from the
3: river. Back. And are we back? We are back. So I'm down in the New Haven studios, and I have to be honest with you, I, I'm never I'm never quite on solid ground here in the New Haven studios. They're all set up differently, and I'm, I'm often dazed and confused, even more so than usual. Uh, and that may be amplified by the fact that I'm down here uh, for my 40th college reunion. Uh, Kevin Kane, who went to college with me, is one of our guests on The Nose today, also Brian Francis Slattery and Mercy Quay. Uh, and we're going to talk about a story that you're probably borderline sick of at this point. One of the things we love to do on The Nose, actually, is have a conversation uh, about something that you're really tired of hearing about but I think we, we might have just caught it while it still uh, uh, has the capacity to excite uh, of course I'm talking about what happened last Saturday May 28th a four-year-old boy slipped inside the habitat called gorilla world at the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden uh, you know the story well by now but he climbed through a barrier fell 15 feet into a shallow moat uh, where a 17 year old Western lowland gorilla named Harambe uh, found him uh, there was video of the incident we see Harambe uh, dragging the boy grab him by the foot, uh, not letting him crawl away, uh, and eventually uh, Harambe uh, had to be dispatched uh, in order to rescue the boy. This, uh, this has uh, created all kinds of controversies, and uh, change.org petitions... And- <laughs> <laughs> and uh and and questions about uh parenting styles and questions about zoo design uh and uh, everybody seems to have an opinion anyway about it uh, mercy i'll let you get start get get us started here uh i know that i know that you've uh well, I'll just let you get us started. Where should we... How do you want to begin?
0: Oh, okay. So um, I'm not sure why you started with me because I decided that I was going to develop my opinion after hearing Brian say something cool. Um, but <laughs> we can go back to that strategy. <laughs> I just, you know, I... Part, part of... Um, you know, my lingering opinion or my initial opinion on this has to do with a bit of the aftermath. You know, there is an entire investigation into the family, which seems absurd to me. You're looking into the family's um, uh, criminal background, uh, department or whatever. Um, was it Cleveland? Uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Whatever Cincinnati's form of uh, Department and Children's Services has gotten involved. And I'm just astounded by this because you know what it seems to me that people continue to go to places that are dangerous and are surprised when they get hurt which is you know the basis of every jurassic park jurassic world you know movie right you go to some place that is dangerous and you're probably going to get hurt if if there's you know not a safe Exhibit right, right. In... So,
3: but especially if it's called Jurassic. I would never take my children <laughs> right. to be called Jurassic, but I would take my children to the zoo because I think the zoo is going to be basically safe. But gorilla Kevin, world? Ke- Kevin, you have
1: um, a gorilla world. Yeah, gorillas, you
3: know. I think people thought that was probably pretty safe. Gorilla world. Kevin and I both have uh, children who are now in their sixties or something. I don't know how they got there, but um, but 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 the one thing that, that any parent can tell you is. There were five times in your child's childhood where you reached into a diaper bag and took your eyes off the kid and the kid was like, you know, jumping over some chasm that it was. a. Th- I mean, the notion anyway that these are bad parents because this happened, I'm having a
1: hard time buying. Oh, man. I'm Not only a hard time buying, but it's. I mean, just shut it down. Stop talking about this stuff. You you know, the good thing is back when we did that, uh, we didn't have the exponential problem of social media that, you know, where you bring the entire galleries of peanut gallery folks, and they're all chipping in from the people that say, okay, one gorilla, one kid, gorilla dead every time. I mean, do we really need that, you know? For the people who are indicting the parents on their parenting skills, there's an, an inquisition into how they've been raising their child and how that could end up in a 15-foot fall. Do we really need that? I mean, I, I just think it's such a bloated uh, bloated story. I, I guess they're building the fences higher mm-hmm. as a result. That's more of an insurance thing than it is probably anything else. But uh, I, I believe we've caught this story right at the height of its uh, awareness on social media and <laughs> I just don't think I have a whole lot to add, except for I think that we all are probably not let your kid slip down there, and that's about this. Well, Brian,
3: my takeaway is we don't mind if gorillas die, but not while we're watching, right? I mean, the reason that yes. there's a, there are gorilla <laughs> habitat, habitats and stuff like that is because a, yeah. the Western Lowland Gorilla is a endangered species because of a lot right. of other things.
4: Right. I mean, this uh, we're, when we were talking about it before the show, I mean, there's this the this is you know, i i feel like i'm going to be hitting like the nuclear button on this conversation because like my oh, you go know, right ahead we're right so the you know the the idea is that, is that you know i i'm one of those people at this point who questions the existence of zoos at all mm. and i no I, they do exist though actually i yeah oh. i pretend that they don't but <laughs> the uh that's
0: maladaptive yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I,
4: I loved them when I was a kid, and then you know that that you know that sort of inspired me to want to go out into the world and see you know and and see what the you know, the actual world was like. And having then I saw I was lucky enough to be able to see a lot of animals in the wild mm. that you would normally just see in a zoo. And then the next time I went to a zoo, it was just profoundly depressing because you you realize that like all of them knew they were in a zoo. And they were all just acting like you imagine like people in jail act, and you know you sort of go, well, why you know why are we, why do we have these exactly, and you know what what are we pretending, you know what what are we pretending about like how well the animals are treated and all of that sort of thing, and you know that. You know, so that, you know, when someone says, like, it, it's it's akin to what you'd said, Mercy, that you say, like, well, the, you know, ultimately these are animals mm-hmm. and you are you are sort of in their space. Right. Even when you're in a zoo. Right. And, you know, it's it's this illusion of safety is, is something that, like, is part of this sort of weird little lie we tell ourselves that zoos are fine. You know, when, when you know, I think that they're a lot more complicated and also a lot more sort of fraught than we like to think about when we're just taking our kids to them. You know. right.
3: Although they can be part of a conservation strategy, too. I mean, one Absolutely. of the problems for the, the, the Western Lowland Gorilla has two major problems right now. One of them is poaching. The other right. one is disease, and that's Ebola in particular, which is probably yeah. something that humans are tracking into their habitats and stuff like that. So, I mean, right. one role of of zoos can be, first of all, actual bio, biological preservation, and the other can be educating people about this animal, so maybe you totally. care about it a little bit more. I mean, zoos, I, I don't think they're they're absolutely, you know, axiomatically evil. Um, well, I,
4: I don't think they are either. It's just more like it, it's gotten a lot more complicated as I get older. That's all. <laughs> you know, as opposed to you know the, the, the sheer delight I had when I was a child.
3: Right. You know. But, I mean, to me, that's – in the long run, there's – I mean, th- this is – I think, Mercy, one of the reasons that people get so overwrought about this is – it's not supposed to happen. I'm not supposed to ever see this. You know, this doesn't belong in my reality. Uh, You know, if you were to tell people, well, I mean, I think 80% of this particular species is extinct. It just didn't... It's happened someplace else that you don't watch YouTube videos from.
0: Right, right. Uh, I mean, to sort of piggyback off of something Brian just mentioned, you know, we're sort of in their space. And I think part of the reason... um, Part of the reason that any species ends up going extinct is because we enter their space and we sort of encroach on that um this i I have the same sort of theory when people get attacked in the wilderness i mean it's unreasonable to assume that it's not going to happen Mm -hmm. if if someone came into my house and i attacked them it would be unreasonable for someone to say why did you attack me and that's how i feel about you know what what ends up happening if a Uh, anyone not even just a little kid falls into a gorilla habitat that's scary Mm -hmm. right for sure
3: um, oh, well, we have to move on. Um, I have other things to say about it, but they'd be much more nuclear than uh, anything Brian <laughs> said. So uh, <laughs> why do that? No, Brian's
1: uh, got me going. I'm ready to go nuclear <laughs> now. Yeah. I'm, I'm well, all in. You're in for nuclear? I'm okay. For
3: nuclear. So, well, we can. We have one last topic. Maybe we can get nuclear on. This is one I think that Mercy first uh, sent over to us. And I had the wrong initial reaction to this. I got really – I didn't want to talk about it at first, and now I'm really interested. So uh, this has been a, a year of protest at Yale University. Uh, students have been upset about a lot of things, and maybe the latest thing that they are upset about, at least some of them, undergraduates are circulating a petition calling on the English department to abolish a core course requirement to study uh, canonical writers who turn out to be all uh, dead white poets, Um, dead white male poets, Chaucer, Shakespeare, Milton, uh, you know those guys, Uh, Spencer, John Donne, uh, John Milton, Alexander Pope, William Wordsworth, T.S. Eliot. Uh, and then in the spring, I think they, they get to pick one modern poet. Uh, and apparently, they do often pick a, a woman. But uh, So the students have launched a petition calling on Yale to decolonize the course. Do you want me to have Brian say something cool Please. so that you can react? Because <laughs> yes. I was going to go to you first. Guess, really to. All right, then you have to go first.
4: I was, you see, I was going to, all right, fine. I was going to use your strategy, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> see, I wasn't ready. It. Okay. Well, okay. oh, you thought I was going to tee up Mercy for you. <laughs> yeah, I, that's
0: what he's been doing this whole time. <laughs> yeah.
4: Well, okay, fine. So, it, the this is another thing that, like, you you know, it's it's hard to have like a simple opinion about it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I I mean, I feel like on on one level, like all of the stuff is good, mm-hmm. right? And then on 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 another level, though, there is kind of. You know, it is worth asking, you know, why do we why why are certain things still canonical? Mm -hmm. Right. Like I was I was just having a I was I occasionally have these like drunk conversations with an English professor where at one point I blurted out like nothing is going to make me care about like the foibles of upper middle class British society in the 19th century. Like I just Mm -hmm. I just don't care that much. You know, and then like that meant that I could just dispose with like a whole raft of novels that I was, quote unquote, supposed to have read. Mm. And I was delighted to get rid of them and instead read a bunch of stuff that I was super into, you know, and there's and there's 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 something to be said for that, you know, that that it's it's a bigger world than Britain. It's a bigger world than Europe. And, you know, there there's and, you know, occasionally I am super embarrassed by how I've read zero works of Chinese literature. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. It's... I've not read a single thing. Um, Kevin, I forget. What did you major in here? I've forgotten.
0: (laughs) So has he. Well... (laughs) (laughs)
1: But how come I get all the tough
0: questions?
3: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, sociology and music. Because I
3: I was trying to, I mean, I do remember when we were here that there were, every major would have core courses that you had to take. And they were pretty white male dominated, too. Oh, I mean, totally.
1: And and I think reflective, you know, of of that era. But, you know, I agree with the conversation so far. Um, I think it's the. Uh, I would just think from the department itself, they would want a richer, broader spectrum sure. uh, to 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 teach, because uh, you know I certainly hated it when I when I took it, and that was when the 8:30 class, because I was a freshman, I didn't <laughs> didn't know any better. Uh, so I, I think. <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> oh, well, you know what? This is uh, you know, I'm just getting a phone call here. I, right. I've timed out on something here. Um, <laughs> But I think that, that if, I, if, I had, if I was going to school now, I would want uh, a, a much broader uh, description of, of who I could read and, and what was required of me. Just like the food is, food's changed, right. all, all those aspects have changed. And I think it's almost on the university. Why didn't you think about this?
3: I think they did think about it, but I I want to go to you next, and and I have have my own fiendish theory about (laughs) this whole
1: thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, last time I was here, I sort of touched very briefly on the idea of white ink and how history is written in white ink, and this is sort of um for me reflective of that um the unfortunate thing is that you, we're talking about classical authors right and 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 during the time that these authors were published even if there were authors of color or uh, women authors they were few number one and number two they weren't being published yeah. so it, i mean it's sifting through the um what's available in that in that in that genre it, it's sort of hard but when you get to you know more contemporary um Literature you get into things like Zora Neale Hurston, which is awesome, right? which something that i didn't I didn't have the um, privilege of even reading until I was in college. Um, but I mean, I think it's difficult because you sort of do need this holistic approach to uh, to English to diversity in English um, literature. Um, and I, it's just it's sort of difficult because you know i'm i'm a I'm a black female and I'm a student from of a or an alumni of Quinnipiac, who you know what, is, which is a predominantly white campus, and everything around me was predominantly white, um, down to my food, down to my classes, down to my literature—like everything was predominantly <laughs> <Food>. white. <laughs> and it—it's it, one of those things. At, the way I feel about it is though the world wasn't like that at one point, though we weren't intentional about our inclusivity, we can be now because we know better. And to quote some um, a black author, Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better.
3: Here's my quick uh, take on, I could go on about this for hours, it turns out, and but I mean, this is something that Yale struggled with for decades and decades and decades, and colleges have struggled for, with for decades and decades and decades. But there's a subtext to it, which is that one of the few things that's probably more endangered than a Western lowland gorilla is the English major in college, right? The humanities are in a lot of trouble. Uh, they seem less relevant in general. STEM yeah. is kind of taking over uh, in terms of career paths. The English major doesn't really get you very far. And then colleges made it worse by intellectually pricing themselves out of the market in, in in the 80s and 90s with Lacanian theory, deconstruction, Foucault, all this stuff that really made it kind of no fun to be an English major. I mean, not only were you unemployable, but you didn't even have any fun for we four years. were also unintelligible. Yeah, you're unintelligible. <laughs> you were just doing this thing that, that, that really wasn't great. So as they as they look at it now, I mean, I, I think f- making this th- stuff marketable and interesting should be very much on their minds. And and I'm sort of of two minds about this. One of them is that 19, since 1972, Yale's had a comparative Literature major and in comp lit, you do all the things we're talking about, right? You you pull from lots of different sources. You you go non-canonical. You get outside that white European canon, and you do lots of interesting things uh, with it. Uh, and. and But on the other hand, reading some of the comments from Harold Bloom and some of the other great dons of the English department here, boy, a lot of them, just they really are just sticking to the playbook. They're just saying, you know, this is it. It's Ezra Pound. And if you don't like
4: it, you can shut up. Uh, I am am occasionally surprised at like what, you know, because I I feel like my argument for reading, you know, widely boils down to like, don't you want to read? you know things that are interesting yeah <laughs> you know and like the wider a net you cast the more interesting things things you can oh, thank find think about
3: interesting a long time ago all right we have <laughs> yeah. to take a break so you'll have time to make some recommendations we'll do that yeah. after this
0: Stay with us. Colin and the Nose will be back with some recommendations. Today's show was produced by Jonathan McPants and me, Kyone Wolf. Greg Hill tweets for us at WNPR Colin, and our intern is Leah Myers. The part of Bill Curry was played by Art Garfunkel. We put up audio of the show, backstage gossip, and Betsy Kaplan's recipe for three bean salad on our new Colin McEnroe Show Facebook page. Come find us and give us your recipe for four bean salad. On Monday's show, we may be
1: talking about libertarians and the launch of the new Bill Simmons website, The Ringer. And
0: now back to
3: Colin. We're back. This is The Nose. We're in New Haven. Our guests are Kevin Kane, a musician whose rock career spans 45 years, almost as long as Paul Simons. Mercy Quay, whose life doesn't even uh, span anything like that. Uh, she's director of communications for New Haven Public Schools. Uh, and Brian's Francis Slattery, who's the arts editor for the New Haven Independent and a producer at WNHH Radio. We like to end The Nose with just uh, getting uh, all of our interesting panelists to talk about things that they like, that maybe the, you would like too. So uh, actually, Brian, yours and mine kind of go together, but I'm gonna have you go first. Okay.
4: Well, this time I'm ready. Okay. So the um I that I can tie everything together too, which is okay. fun. So the first thing would be a book that can that can tie in both what we just talked about and Paul Simon, mm. which is Derek Walcott's Omeros, which is this epic poem about fishermen in the Caribbean, and it's also based on the Iliad. And it is really good. <laughs> I spent a summer at one point reading it, and I it's one of those like, you know you remember it is like wow that was a great summer that I read a little bit here and then the other person is one of the Paul Simon songs that you that you played it you know made me want to go up and revisit my Thomas Mopfumo records he's a he's basically sort of like the John Lennon slash Elvis Presley slash Johnny Cash of Zimbabwe Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he came here and he's great all right, Mercy, what have you got for us?
0: Sure. Um, so last time I was here, we were talking about Beyonce's Lemonade, and I'm still uh, paying for my data charges for listening to that album on repeat. And um, <laughs> I there's an author and a book that I'd like to suggest, Bell Hooks. She um, has written a book on patriarchy. It's called The Will to Love Men, Masculinity, and Something or Another. I don't know. But it's a great book. And Bell Hooks, the author, um, actually did this huge critique of – Lemonade and how it is actually anti-feminism, feminist. So um, I'm not telling you my opinion on it, but I think that's definitely something for you to check out. Uh, That's it.
3: All right. Kevin, make a a recommendation for us.
1: And This is my first time, and I'm going to do the dumb one, okay? (laughs) But since we did Paul Simon the whole time, I'm going to make a recommendation that anybody here check out Jackson Brown and go through his catalog so that you can also do a comparative between Jackson Brown and Paul Simon. And then uh, I I believe I'm going to go back and, and maybe get a... A double major in English Lit, I'm thinking that that's probably my, my next course. Thanks, Colin. Thanks for coming, Kevin. So uh, I should say, by the way, that Paul Simon sang some of the songs that
3: are on the new album. Uh, I think it was last April, maybe, at Battelle Chapel. He has a niece who, goes, who was a senior at Yale. Uh, he came in as, I think, a Chub fellow and uh, performed just a few blocks from where we're sitting right now in New Haven. Uh, I'm going to uh, make some recommendations from the Paul Simon backlist. Uh, at the time that Graceland came out, one of the theories was that his career was languishing. Uh, and this was based actually on some albums that I really like a lot. One of them is called One Trick Pony, which is the, basically uh-huh. the soundtrack to it. Uh, maybe not that great movie, but the, the album's actually really, really great. I went back and listened to it. In fact, I spent all of Sunday just playing around with Tidal, T-I-D-A-L, the uh, Jay-Z-owned <laughs> streaming service, which I got because of the Lemonade show that we did, and I've still got it now, and I'm, I'm oh, being charged for it, yikes. I think. But, uh, it's really, but it's really great. It's really fun Uh, to play around with. Uh, So One Trick Pony is really great overall. The title track's great. There's a a song called Ace in the Hole that's terrific Uh, from the album Hearts and Bones, which is probably the Paul Simon album people like the least. Uh, There's a song called Rene and Georges Magritte with their dog after the war. And lastly, I will recommend Thelma. One of the great things about Title is that it posts up all the Mm reissues of albums rather than the original ones. So Title was not released with Rhythm of the Saints. I mean, Thelma was not released uh, on Rhythm of the Saints, but it's there uh, on Title and lots of other reissues of Rhythm of the Saints. It's a terrific song. I'd never heard it before Sunday. I thought I knew uh, Rhythm of the Saints. Uh, Anyway, that's all we have time for, Uh, but I do recommend getting Title and paying Jay Z a lot of money and then playing around with it. Uh, (laughs) Thanks to Brian Slattery and Kevin Kane and Mercy Quay, and we'll be back on Monday with The Scramble.